Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. And a big thanks to longtime sponsor of this program and this podcast, the Dunlap Champions Club. Obviously, as I speak, we don't know what football season is going to look like. And like most things associated with COVID-19 and the coronavirus, there are plenty of questions and not necessarily answers. So this is what I'd like you to do. Whenever we get some more clarity about football season, know this. The Dunlap Champions Club will have a plan. It's a great venue to take in football if spectators are going to be allowed this fall or whenever football season kicks off. There's shade, there's food, there's access to adult beverages if so inclined, and you can believe that they'll have as solid a plan as anything uh, involved at Doak Campbell Stadium in terms of keeping things sanitized as uh, we try to play this football season. So that said, thanks again for their longtime support of this program. I encourage you, if you have questions or want uh, some answers as to what the plan might look like, call 644-1830, option 1, for more information or to schedule a tour. And now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. A day earlier than usual. It's a bonus week. This is what happens when the college football season teeters on the brink. We go ahead and move front row knolls up two days. Keith, unfortunately, we may soon be uh, zero row knolls if there's if there's no football to, to observe. Uh, All right. Worst case, 84th row or whatever the maximum row rowage is in Dope Campbell. Yeah. You know, we talked, what, six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, ten weeks ago. Man, have we just had some answers. If we just knew what was going on. And then – Two weeks ago, we started getting some answers and felt like we knew what was going on. And then we sit here today, started, I guess, technically on Sunday when the rumors started circulating. And um, as we are taping on Tuesday evening, uh, you know, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten have pulled. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll get into that in weeks to come. It appears that the way they've postponed things are different. We'll talk about that another time. So you're sitting there with three Power Five conferences, the ACC and the SEC, which, again, according to what I've been able to read and hear, uh, are really pushing the play. But you got the Big Ten, which uh, may end up being, if we wanted to talk about the Supreme Court, you know. The, the Big, Big 12, Ten, not the Big Ten. You mean the Big 12. Sorry, Big 12. Thank you. Yeah. Big 12. End up being the swing vote. And um, who knows? Don't know when it'll happen, if it'll happen, and what will happen when it does. Uh, and so we're right back to just guessing. And if the Big 12 is the swing vote, that really means the University of Texas is the swing vote, doesn't it? I mean, isn't that the way that conference has gone? If Texas uh, if, is, we're going to play? In his, if history were to uh, be an indicator. But I tell you, you're, you're finding some new voices, um, you know, that are really being listened to uh, within all of the, the Power Five conferences. Uh, and – and the term it being fluid has never been more appropriate, in my opinion, as to what's going on. Let me set up today's show real quick. Uh, we've got a, a good one on tap. Again, we're recording on Tuesday evening, uh, normally the Wednesday show, but things moving around so much. Dr. Leslie Beitch will join us next segment. He's from Florida State University, but he's the FSU rep on the ACC COVID-19 Medical Advisory Group. And so, uh, the ACC and SEC Medical Advisory Group, Keith, thus far is saying, well, we can do this. I mean, there was a press conference at FSU today with Governor DeSantis, 
David Coburn, Mike Norvell, President Thrasher, and, and summarizing that in one sentence is we can play football this year. But then you've got the Big Ten and the Pac-12 that are saying our medical advisory group is saying we can't play. Uh, it's, it's all part of the equation. You're, ne- you're never going to get everybody to agree, and this, is, this has certainly been exhibited as we've tried to figure out how to move forward, not just with COVID, but with college football. Well, two things. Number one, is it okay to disagree? I mean, you know, you've got some conflicting thoughts. And uh, the other thing that, that is just interesting to me, I've been a little, in academia a little bit. You work for Florida State. You know, I, I will, we may never know, but was the Big Ten and, and, and the Pac-12, were their medical advisory folks charged with, tell us how to make it happen? Or were they charged with, can we do it? And was the charge to the SEC and the ACC and conversely the Big 12, their medical personnel was it different? Because you know, and I both know in bureaucracies, the charge can sometimes be the answer that you're instructing the committee to work towards. That's why you hire a consultant, right, Keith, to get the answer that you want. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I. So the two things, and, and I don't know, and we're not going to develop this that much on today's show, there's, there's some thought that the player movement is, is what has caused universities to pump or, or, or conferences to pump the brakes a little bit uh, in the case of the Pac-12 and the Big Ten completely. Uh, there's also conversation about myocarditis and the inflammation of the heart that can occur after COVID, and this has come from a couple of places, one of them being – uh, I think it's the mother of an Indiana football player who had a post on Facebook that went viral. Uh, and so that's where maybe people have pumped the brakes. And I don't know, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit next segment. But uh, the irony related to the ACC, Keith, hear me out. If the ACC saves college football this year because they're willing to go it, and, and we saw what Louisville's coach said yesterday, even before the SEC got into it, he was out saying we're moving forward. It would be because they want to get to basketball season and play that on time. Because as soon as we cancel football, guess what sports next? And, and, and that might very well be a motivating factor. No one, no one may admit it, but it might very well be a motivating factor. If, if we factor. get football off the ground, we can play basketball in the ACC. I joke, Keith, because there's nothing else we can do at this point. I mean, you know, it's, There's one thing about that, 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 that story and about uh, you know, what the – virus can do to the system, to the body long-term. We need to recognize that you, you can't take this virus and boil it down to zero. There's going to be a probability of it affecting. What you've got to do is get it down to an acceptable level. And, you know, as an athlete, well, let me rephrase, as a football player, no, I was never accused of being an athlete. Every time I set foot on that practice field, set foot on that game field, I knew I could be hurt, but I was willing to accept that. And what you've seen, and I don't want to overgeneralize, but what you've seen from the SEC and the ACC schools, kids, is that, yes, there is a danger, but we're willing to entertain it. Uh, and, And they understand that there's a danger. Now, we got to be careful so that we as adults help them because they're 18 to 23 years of age. We get that. Um, but you can't eliminate 
the possibility of it, of it harming you. You've got to get it down to a level when you're comfortable with it. And that will vary by individuals. We will come back and have the conversation with Dr. Leslie Beisch from FSU on the ACC COVID-19 Medical Advisory Group. Right after this, we're just getting started on a a front row Knowles a day early. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block and Keith Jones with you. An eventful day. It's been an eventful week, an eventful summer, really, as we debate the future of college football, at least for this season. And as we open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together, we're pleased to be joined by Dr. Leslie Beitch from Florida State University. He's the chair of behavioral science and social medicine at Florida State. He's also FSU's representative on the ACC COVID-19 medical advisory group. And so that's a starting point. First, thank you for joining us. And I guess as a very broad introduction, we can draw conclusions as to what that group is doing, but give us some perspective on how frequently you're meeting, how long these meetings are. There's one representative from every university, and then how you're reporting that back to ADs and presidents and that sort of thing. Sure. Well, well, first of all, Tom, thanks for inviting me, and it's been a real privilege to be part of this group. And, and again, my association with the athletics department has been non-existent prior to this, other than that I consider myself a modestly rabid sports fan uh, for FSU sports. But uh, I'm kind of the public health representative among the universities on, on, the, uh, on the committee. And so I bring a public health perspective to this based on a 20-year public health career I had uh, in Florida and Oklahoma before joining the university. And the group was put together, I want to say, in June. So you've been meeting. I imagine you've worn Zoom out like we all have. Are you, are you meeting weekly? Uh, to the extent that you meeting. can, I, how, for example, not every university is relieving, uh, releasing the, the numbers in terms of positive tests for student athletes. Uh, but I would assume when you guys are meeting, you're having those conversations behind closed doors that, hey, we've got this many positive and based on when we resumed workouts, just to the degree you can give us a peek behind the curtain as to what those conversations are. Sure. I'd be happy to do that. Uh, You know, so it is a pretty candid conversation. There's a weekly meeting. Uh, We had an extra meeting this week uh, and we'll have enough, we'll have two this week, but it, it, the, what I'm enjoying about this meeting is there's not any confusion as to what our job is. And, And that is how do you, make uh, you know, college athletics as safe as they can be for student athletes uh, you know, and coaches and staff in an environment of COVID-19. And you know, that risk cannot be reduced to zero unless you don't have a season, but how can you make that risk as modest as, as can be? And when, you, when it's really clear what your purpose is, you, you really can I think have effective communication on what tools are available and what approaches. And that's pretty much, you know, how it's been. And it's, I'm very impressed with the, 
uh, the cerebral power of this group. It's really been been uh, a privilege to be part of it. Dr. Bach, do you, do you get all the way down into the weeds? Uh, Tom and I were talking before we came on the air. I'm a, a junior defensive back at Florida State. I show up at the Moore Center at 6.50 a.m. Do you talk about or there are procedures to play? My temperature gets taken immediately. I'm swabbed for a new test. I do the test every two days. Do you get into those types of discussions so that everybody's on the same page? Yeah, that Keith, that's a great question as well. We don't get into how each school does its particular protocol, but we do cover some very common things. For example, how FSU disinfects its uh, you know its facilities, you know the the Dunlop Center. That's that's not a discussion, but it might be that people at FSU are comparing notes with the folks at UVA or Georgia Tech. But there are the common denominators around uh, how frequently you test, how soon that has to be before a game, which sports are considered to be at higher risk than other sports. And on certain things, it can be pretty granular. On other things that are, you know, there's more than one way to do it and the science is not so refined, then, you know, their schools are left a lot of leeway. As long as certain minimum standards are met that are, in fact, protective for Again, our student athletes, our coaches and staff. Is it fair to say that if the consensus amongst your group was that we just can't do it, that your recommendation would be postpone or cancel? Or were you charged with making it happen and you don't get the opt-out opportunity, if that, if that makes sense? Yeah, so our group is, is really a group that's for guidance. You know, those decisions are going to be made by the – by the presidents and athletic directors. So we're, we're trying to help them do this as safely as it can be done. And, uh, you know, if our recommendation is that it's unsafe, that would be our recommendation. To that point, today the chair of the ACC Medical Advisory Group, who's Dr. Cameron Wolf from Duke University, Duke Medical Center, I, I don't know if you saw this quote yet, uh, you probably did, but he told Sport Business Daily, quote, we believe we can mitigate it down to a level that makes everyone safe. Will it be tough? Yes. Will it be expensive and hard and lots of work? For sure. But I do believe you can sufficiently mitigate the risk of bringing COVID onto the football field or into the training room at a level that's no different than living as a student on campus. So uh, there's obviously an awful lot of brain power that went into that thought, as you indicated, from the expertise that's on this panel. Uh, were you aware of that quote? I mean, I, that that's it, it's funny you ask that. I think I read that about 15 minutes ago because uh, I missed the meeting this morning. I had a conflict around teaching today. So uh, I have the highest regard for Dr. Wolf. Uh, and in fact, my colleagues on, on this committee, uh, he's an infectious disease doc. And this is so in his bailiwick. Um, you know, again, we've had I, I can't say we agree on everything. And I'm talking about all of us collectively. But I do think, you know, the world is not a perfect place. Uh, if we're going to have students back on campus, you know, then uh, there, there are going to be some risks. But we, there are a lot of things we can do to reduce that level of risk. We're talking with Dr. Leslie Beitch, who is FSU's representative on the ACC COVID-19 Medical Advisory Group, former commissioner of health for the state of Oklahoma, and also former deputy secretary for the Florida Department of Health. So you mentioned students on campus and that you had a, an obligation today. Fall semester is, it's upon us. 
students, I think, begin moving into residence halls on Wednesday of this week at Florida State. Classes start about 10 days from now, less than two weeks. How much has the conversation been about, well, football players in isolation or student athletes in isolation is one thing, but once the student population comes back, then what does it look like? That question comes up every time we, we huddle, honestly. And, uh, you know, so it's also interesting. The medical students have been on, some of them have been on campus and uh, actively, you know, in, in our building all summer, not huge amounts. Our PA students in particular have been on campus for probably six or seven weeks. And, you know, we've taken a lot of different steps to make sure that process goes, uh, goes well and safely. And you know, so that's a little bit of a test case for what it's going to be like. When they did come on campus, they they uh, self quarantined for a period of time before they then came to the to our buildings on campus. And you know, our football players did that. Uh, you know, we're trying to do it as you know, FSU is trying to get students to be tested to you know come to campus with at least knowing what their COVID nineteen status is. But they're coming from all over the planet, you know, mostly from Florida, of course, but from a lot of different places. So, you know, it's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be an interesting few weeks when we get back underway. Doctor, are you familiar with any other of the ACC schools as it relates to the football testing that has their lab right on campus or is what FSU has been able to set up a little bit unique compared to the other schools? Well, it, it is both unique and, and, because of how we've done it, uh, but many of the of the schools in the ACC have a, a medical industrial complex on their campus. And as you know, we have a college of medicine. I'm a faculty member there, but we don't own a hospital and and huge uh, hospital labs. Several of the schools, since so we're talking about Dr. Wolf, Duke is that medical industrial complex. They can do that. UNC, uh, Wake Forest. Uh, you know, several of the other schools, Pittsburgh, uh, you know, they're on a campus with major medical facilities. So we are able to do that, but it's not through our hospitals. It's through, uh, you know, uh, Vice President Ostrander's, uh, you know, innovative approach to opening up a, a really terrific facility. What about turnaround time on the testing? Because Gary Ostrander, the VP for research at FSU, uh, he's mentioned less than 24 hours and even much shorter than that. How does that compare to what they're doing at Duke or able to do at places that do have a, a teaching facility in the more traditional College of Medicine? So that's been the, you know, one of the things that we have discussed, and it's, it's in our guidelines, and that is the testing has to be available within 24 hours. So that's going to be an important component in this. And quite frankly, if you look across the country, uh, that's one of the critical sort of litmus tests that the United States largely has not been successful. Uh, you know, you, it, it's probably, it's important how many tests you do, but if you're not able to turn those test results around quickly, then the value is much diminished. And, you know, Dr. Ostrander, Vice President Ostrander, certainly understood that very early on in discussions he's had with lots of folks. And that's the way our system's, you know, organized. It may be as little as four to eight hours, which is what he's shooting for, which is amazing. And uh, these other facilities, you know, our other uh, ACC schools are, are going to have that 24-hour turnaround. If you can, and, and, and it may not be uh, published yet, or you may not have decided yet, but let's say you go through camp, 
you're getting ready to play Georgia Tech. Do they test before they come to Tallahassee? Do they test when they get to Tallahassee? When does Florida State test? And what happens if three wide receivers and two defensive backs test positive for Tech and vice versa for Florida State? Those are stupid questions that our fans no. want answers to. No, Keith, if those are stupid questions, that's what we've been spending a lot of our time doing. So well, then I'll withdraw, no, I think I'll withdraw that, my uh, observation. Yeah. So first of all, let's let's be really you know honest with ourselves. We're going to have athletes that test positive who were negative. You know, on most of the schools, will test probably sometime Wednesday or Thursday, probably Wednesday, seventy-two hours before a game. And someone's going to be negative on that 72-hour period and turn out to be positive the next time they're tested. And then there's a formal process we've been discussing about notifying uh, the chief medical officers from one school to another school. And we're trying to do that to be sure that we're in compliance with all federal and state laws on confidentiality and security. But, you know, it's going to be by probably position group. And, uh, you know, it's you know, your wide receivers are actually not getting as much, quote, face time, if you will, as your offensive and defensive linemen who spend sure. a lot of time in sure. a, a relatively confined space. I've now told you everything I know about offensive and defensive linemen. <laughs> We're talking with uh, Dr. Leslie Beitch from Florida State, who is FSU's rep on the ACC COVID-19 Medical Advisory Group. So I, I wasn't really familiar with this term, and I may mispronounce it, but myocarditis, which I guess is inflammation around the heart or of the heart, uh, that all of a sudden uh, in mainstream, it, it, in a lot of the articles I've seen, has been talked about more as a legitimate concern. But my understanding is it could happen after any infection, not just COVID-19. So why is it why is there, does there seem to be more concern related to it and COVID-19 than just in general and any other infection that, that somebody might have? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question as well. And, you know, part of what I think makes the challenge of everything we're talking about COVID-19 is we're trying to figure out how to make people safe when much of the research is happening as we're discussing it literally. And so the a lot of the literature that's out there and the things that we're seeing in news media and other places, they look different than most of the studies that I would normally have access to as a physician who's taking care of patients or as a researcher, because that's that information would be rigorously peer-reviewed by people who do work in that same field. They would critique uh, that study. Um, you know, right now we're seeing things come out that are mostly observational studies, which are hugely important right now, but they're coming out and we're seeing the results sometimes before they're peer reviewed. So they're not validated uh, yet. But if you're working in the field and taking care of patients, you need that information right now. And all of us recognize that. So the science is really a little messy is the point I'm getting. It's amazing how quickly it's coming out and how voluminous it is. But not everything that we're seeing now is going to hold up after more critical analysis. So, but there are a few things I think that are known. And I'm, I'm a public health guy. I'm not a virologist. I'm not an infectious disease doc. But, you know, there are one of the things that's, that's troubling for us right now with COVID-19 is it's become much more evident that a huge number of people, 45-ish percent, are asymptomatic 
when they first come, when they're shedding virus, shedding large amounts of virus. Some will become symptomatic, so they're in a pre-symptomatic phase. Others will never have symptoms. And it's this group that we're concerned about who never had symptoms, who may be, again, exposed, exposing others, but they themselves may have issues related to myocarditis, pulmonary disease, and other consequences that you typically don't see with other types of viruses. So they were asymptomatic, nothing would have suggested that they had been ill, and yet they're having some of these more significant uh, consequences from the disease. All right, we so talked about- It's a little bit different. Yep, we've talked about the players. Is the committee uh, formulating um, protocols, procedures, recommendations for people in the stands as well? We have made some recommendations uh, about, you know, how the, how how closely they can interact with with players, coaches, and staff. Uh, but we have at this stage left that to the individual universities. Sure, I would not be surprised if that's not a request by the athletic directors or the presidents for us to to issue some guidance. But so far, we have not. There has uh, so two conferences at this point. The, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have uh, postponed the fall, and January 1st would be the soonest they would start, and I think they're looking at later than that for football, but all fall sports are gone. Uh, and some of the rationale they've used, maybe a large part of it, has been at the recommendation of their medical advisory groups. So two-part question here. One, how much conversation has gone on between the different leagues and the, the groups that you're sitting on? And then secondly, is it really no different than if I go see my primary for some ailment and he says, I'd recommend this, but then I get a second opinion and that physician recommends something different and that's just the way it is. Uh, smart people can see things differently. Well, I, I think it's all of the above. And, I, and again, I think that's, that's just a great question. There have been a lot of communications and for our committee, that communication would be via Dr. Wolf. So I've not been part of that. But there have been a lot of uh, back and forth conversations, shared documents, and so on, um, which I think helps everyone be making sure that we're looking, did we leave out a topic that we needed to think of that another conference did? And, and hopefully, you know, our, our input you know, offers them that same guidance. But I, I think, you know, with the science evolving as rapidly as it is here, and I have never seen this much science just get you know, just literally dumped daily here for people to sift through. I think it's very conceivable. Reasonable people may differ dramatically. I'll give you just a simple example, and it's one you're familiar with, but we haven't talked about it. Should we be opening K K through 12 schools, uh, you know, in person or virtually, you know, in the United States right now? And there are very different opinions, and uh, people with similar levels of expertise, you know, uh, on that. And that part of those differences relate to only within the last few weeks has it become clear how susceptible people under 18 are in fact to the virus. And so that's changing some people's minds very quickly, including uh, school systems that were planning to reopen, you know, and this month. So there's, and I think that new knowledge uh, will continue to unfold and we'll respond to that as, as we know more. 
So let me just stop there, I guess, on that. Let, let, we'll, we'll wrap up here, and I appreciate your time, Dr. Beisch. Uh, this is a sweeping question that I, that I ask at the end sometimes, but you've been in these meetings. You've seen what's in the media. What would you like to add that the general public should know in terms of what your group is doing or something that we didn't lead you to here? Uh, great question. And one of the things that several of my colleagues at FSU would have talked about it was a variation on something that you, you know, the Dr. Wolf quote you, you shared earlier. You know, playing, you know, college athletics is not a zero, uh, there, there's some risks involved. Uh, you know, athletes get injured, you know, all the time, and they know that when they, when they practice, when they get suited up, and when they have games. And we're not going to get the risk to zero. Uh, for related to COVID-19 or for that matter, for anything. But, you know, our job here is not to reduce the risk to zero, but to reduce the risk to an acceptable, safe level. And, uh, you know, and again, for athletes, for for coaches, for, for staff are involved. You know, I'm in a high-risk group. I'm 65 years old. Uh, I'm I'm going to be teaching students every day. I certainly don't want them to be asymptomatically sh- shedding virus unless I'm also being protected. And it's it's not different from the environment that we're we're trying to establish. I can teach, I feel very safely. Uh, I may not teach well, but I can teach safely. You know, I'll let the students judge whether it was taught well. Tom, I think you're muted. Yeah, I am. I'm thinking I've been doing Zoom for six months now and I had myself muted. So what I was saying is uh, I, we appreciate your insight and, and uh, your service on this committee as well. Very much, very much. Yeah, there's no, there's no perfect answer is really what you're saying there, but, but we're trying to get as close to perfect as we can on this. Or as... and, and I would also expect that things will unfold and evolve very rapidly throughout the season. As, as just an example, the number of times people, it's going to be recommended they get tested. I promise you that will change. The types of tests that are recommended I would almost guarantee that will change by, you know, whether we do or don't have fall sports, those things will all be very different by January and they'll be different again by, you know, by the time we're talking about spring sports, summer sports, it's just going to, and that's all whether the vaccine comes online, we want it to or not. So just a lot more information will be out there, a lot more therapeutic options that we don't now fully appreciate. Well, we appreciate uh, you joining us today on Front Row Knowles. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. I'm glad you had me. Take care. Dr. Baish from FSU, FSU's rep on the ACC COVID-19 Medical Advisory Group. We'll take a break and come back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. It is a quickly evolving landscape of college athletics. Usually we get to August 10th, 11th, 12th, and we're bummed because practice has started and we still have three weeks till we can see something for real. 
Now we don't know if we're ever going to see something for real, other than the fact that we're seeing our Osceola insider, Patrick Burnham, right now, who joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Pat, been pretty crazy last 72 hours, I would say, at least in our world. How about yours? Uh, pretty crazy. A little, Very little sleep, obviously. Uh, a lot of uh, bad news and mixed in with some good news. Uh, got the news that, obviously, the Big Ten and Pac-12 have shut it down for the fall and the ACC, SEC, and uh, – Big 12 and AAC are right now moving forward, so we'll see what happens. But certainly a disappointing day for someone, uh, for you guys. And I know, you know, I, start, I didn't, I didn't take my first steps on a football field, but uh, I started crawling on a football field. So I've been around football my whole life, all 50 years I've been on this earth, and uh, uh, it's been a, you know, gut-wrenching day to be honest with you. Do one you- of the things that, uh, excuse me, Tom. One of the things that Dr. Bice talked about that. I'd like to get your reaction to is that uh, learned minds can look at the same set of data and come up with different conclusions. Now I'm paraphrasing in a wild wood ease a little bit, but just because a conference opts out, is that a reason for another conference to opt out? Well, you know, I mean, I'll put it to you this way. I was in the hospital one time and I had two doctors come up and tell me two opposite things were the best thing for me to do. And I had to make a choice. And both uh, they were both could have been life and were life changing choices. And I, I and they said, when you make this decision, you're going to have to live with it or die with it. And uh, I made my decision, so I, that, that get, hits close to home. But two very well-educated doctors had two very different diagnoses of what was going on with my body, and I had to choose between which way that needed to be treated, either surgically or through pharmaceuticals. So certainly doctors see things different ways, and they, both, they all are educated differently and uh, have different experiences. And so, so that uh, would obviously impact – how they see a particular subject matter. Hey, Pat, I only make light of this because you're with us right now, but would you mind checking with the doctor whose advice you followed to see if we should play football or not? <laughs> he is a great doctor. He has moved to the Atlanta area, and I, and I, I know you're kidding, but I do give him a lot of credit for me still being here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, so we don't know. You know, I mean, shoot, while we're talking, I'm not looking at Twitter. We may have canceled next season, too. Who knows what's happened right now? So. <laughs> Let's talk about what we do know, which is that Florida State in in less than a week has had more on-field football practice than they did all spring. So that that seems remarkable just to utter that statement. And I know that media is not able to to watch practice because of precautions with COVID-19. But we have had, well, they're not the regular post-practice comments because they've been done via Zoom. But you've had a lot of interaction with not just Coach Norvell, but assistant coaches, players, You've been able to glean anything uh, out of out of what they're saying so far through three or yeah. four. You know, obviously they're very excited to get back with their kids, and you know they have they've had some glowing comments about the quarterback group, the running back group. Uh, we've got to talk to Coach Norvell several times. We've talked with Coach Marv, who raves about those young linebackers, Stephen Dix, uh, Jaleel McCray, the two freshmen, DJ Lundy. Uh, Oh, well, Stephen Dix is a freshman, but uh, Mari Gaynor, uh, he really feels that those uh, Dix, Lundy, and even uh, McCluster, J.I. McCluster, have been very impressive early on. They've been through two days in pads, and there's still some uh, ways to go in learning the uh, offense or defense. And then, of course, that running back, you've got a whole new group of running backs, and 
he, he uh, Coach Norvell mentioned that he has been around with a lot of good running backs uh, and a lot of good running back groups, and he is very impressed with what he has seen from this group, uh, including Jay Sean Corbin, LaDamian Webb, Lawrence Tallafoley, uh, obviously Ja'Kai Douglas, and he says this is talented a group as he's ever had. Obviously an unproven group, but it was certainly nice to hear him rave about those guys. And then, you know, we had seen some potential from Darius Washington at left tackle last year, and, you know, uh, Coach Atkins came on. I believe we had access to Coach Atkins on Saturday uh, or Sunday. I think it was yeah, Sunday because it was their first day in Shells. And uh, he talked about what a great athlete that Darius was and had the kind of feet that you need. Uh, so, you know, it looks like he sees the potential there as a left tackle. They were very positive about Thomas Schrader, the true freshman who looks to be a guard or a center. He did talk about the fact that it was going to be a three-man battle at center between Bavion uh, Johnson, Maurice Smith, and Andrew Baselli, and you're likely to see one of those guys move to guard. It's, that's out of that battle, uh, you know, once you get to the two deep. And then, of course, you know, you, he said they are going to cross-train uh, cross the offensive linemen throughout camp. Uh, they always – and the reason for that, and of course, that's what Coach McDuffie did in the glory days is he cross-trained everybody. You had uh, guys that played both guards or guard and tackle or center and guard. And, uh, you know, so you could see uh, – it looks like Dante and Lucas and, you know, Derek. Washington to me are the two guys that are pretty much set. You would think they would have starting positions at left tackle and possibly Lucas at left guard or right guard. And then I think it uh, kind of gets a little bit more of uh, more competition at the other spots. But certainly you saw Brady Scott line up at guard and tackle. Uh, in the spring, so you could see him at either guard spot or right tackle. Uh, we've heard that DeFonte Love Taylor, uh, the transfer from FIU, may get a look at both left guard or right to guard and right tackle. So there's going to be they're going to piece that group together. But he was certainly excited about the shape they came back in, so he was not disappointed uh, in uh, the way they came back in. But certainly, all the coaches have mentioned that they have you know because they have not been able to practice as much as they really would with the pandemic shortened spring ball. You know, they've got some work to do as a group at all, at all positions. Pat, our listeners, at least some of them will be going, now, wait a minute. We heard that last year and we heard that the year before <laughs> and, and I'm putting you on the spot, but why is this year different and why should it be different? And why should FSU people be excited? Well, you know, the reason I think you're excited and, you know, Keith, I don't know how many, how much uh, practice you got to see in the spring. We were out there for uh, every minute of spring practice and uh, those three days, it was very refreshing uh, based off what I'd seen the year before. Uh, the detail that these coaches get into, they don't miss a beat. This is going to be, in my opinion, and I'm not throwing the last half under the bus, but this – you know, Coach Norvell said in that opening press conference on the practice field, we will never waste a rep or a minute of these kids' time, and they don't, and they don't, and they're always coaching. And I don't mean to uh, compare Chris Marv to my father, uh, but, but when I went over there last spring and watched him work with those linebackers, if I had closed my eyes and just listened, I would, and then to watch his, when I open my eyes and watch his energy and at period four and 45 degree weather, he is soaked in sweat. I mean, I was impressed. Now they, they've got to do it right in on game day, but I do think this will be a 
coaching staff that's attentive to detail. They use every minute to coach these players up. They don't miss. And I just think there's going to – and I said, now we got the, basically the same personnel on the offensive line as we did last year. But I do think that you will see improvement on the – noticeable improvement on the offensive line, even if marginal. But, you know, certainly Darius Washington will be better at left tackle or right tackle wherever he ends up than what I think we played with last year here at Florida State. But, I, you know, listen, I've been in – listen, we're all excited. It's new, right? It's just like getting a new car. We've got a new coaching staff, so we're all excited. The season hasn't started yet. And maybe I am somewhat unrealistic uh, because I'm excited for the team and I'm excited for the fan base. But I have been very impressed with the way these guys go about their business. And it reminds me of coaching staffs that I grew up around and that I've worked with at South Florida and South Carolina and the way they go about their business. And, you know, Chris Marv is such an energetic guy at linebacker. Uh, you know, Fuller has been highly successful wherever he's been. Now we're, they're in a smaller, they're in a bigger pond, but they got more uh, eyes on them. So, you know, they still got to get it done uh, and we'll see how it goes. But, you know, I'm excited. And, you know, listen, I think they got a chance to be very good on defense. Uh, you know, it was unfortunate. Uh, and you understand why Dennis Briggs left the, you know, opted out because of concerns for COVID today. But, uh, and you had Jamarcus Chapman also. So the defensive line lost a little bit to death, but you got Marvin Wilson back. You got Robert Cooper back. And then, uh, uh, you know, Corey Durden. And then you're going back to a 4-3, Keith. And I think we both yep. agree. And you can yep. talk to the this that a four three suits these is particularly the defensive ends that were outside linebackers much better than the three four did. And I would agree, and I think our listeners would be very pleased with the last two minutes. But uh, yeah, and then of course you know, yeah. Well, and you know, I think that uh, yeah, I even think we'll see. And I, you know, you're a hard spot because you got two freshman quarterbacks. Uh, that are competing for a starting job. And it's never ideal when you've got a true freshman quarterback uh, unless one of them turns out to be Trevor Lawrence, and who knows. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, that's that's hard any time you're at a, at a – but I even think we'll see improvement out of James Blackman. I mean, obviously he's got some maturing to do um, and dealing with adversity, but I, I think that uh, this coaching staff is going to help every one of these kids grow up. Good. Talking with Pat Burnham, our Osceola insider. I think most of our audience would know this, but if you haven't connected the dots, Pat's dad, Wally, was a linebacker coach fixture on the Dynasty Days FSU staff for a number of years and then coached uh, a lot longer after that as well. Um, yeah, I was going to go to quarterbacks next, Pat, because I thought it was interesting. The pre-start of practice press conference, I guess it was last Thursday, some of the media wanted to pin Mike Norvell down to try and get a, a, you know, which way is he leaning? And he basically said, guys, I've had three practices. You know, you got to give me some time to look at them and see. Uh, which I guess the advantage there, if you're James Blackman or whoever, everybody's got a fresh start, clean slate. There really are no preconceptions. I mean, you just get out there and we'll, we'll see how it goes. Well, yeah, and here's the thing. Uh, it's good and bad, right? Uh, you got – the good news is the schedule – well, I guess it's good news. The schedule has changed. You don't know if it was West Virginia anymore. You got Georgia Tech, who's a rebuilding program. Then you get Sanford. So, no matter who the quarterback is, because of who you open with, those first two games in particular, and I'm not saying that Georgia Tech's an automatic win, even though I think they'll beat Georgia Tech, based on all we know about both programs. But you've got two weeks that you can work all – whoever's in the middle of that competition through the early games. James has a decided uh, advantage, obviously, from an experience standpoint. 
Now, he does not have a decided advantage from an experience in this office standpoint, uh, offense standpoint. He and Tate both got three days in the spring, and Tate was here throughout whatever they were able to be on campus for in the spring semester. Then they all came back in the same time in the summer. All right, so where is, why do the freshmen have a realistic chance at the job? Well, here's why. Because of the pandemic shortened spring ball and because of how they're going to have to practice, and we asked Coach Norvell this uh, at, the, at that press conference, will this limit how much of your offense and defensive systems you can put in? And the answer was likely it will limit how much of their offensive and defensive systems they can put in. So the freshman quarterbacks are not going to have to likely digest the entire playbook. They're going to have to figure out what these kids can do early and go with their strength. So I think that helps the freshmen compete. And obviously, James is experiencing games and the speed of the defenses and the, the rate of the way the holes close up in the secondary throwing lanes. Uh, that, that, that should be a decided advantage to James in the battle. But the fact that they're all three or all four, because let's don't discount Jordan Travis, um, because Mike has been very positive about the way Jordan Travis has thrown the ball early on in camp. And we all know he's got great legs. So you've got two drop back guys in Tate and James, and you've got two dual threat quarterbacks in Jordan and Chubba. So, uh, you know, and I, who knows, maybe he, 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 I don't know if Mike's ever played two quarterbacks before, but you would certainly think that this uh, battle at quarterback could play out through at least the early part of the season and before you go to Miami. Pat, uh, well, another thing, uh, you know, to your point about absorbing the offense, this, I don't think we've talked about it much, but the season being push back and again we're talking with Pat Burnham this is uh, on Tuesday and who knows by if you listen to this and it's Friday who knows if this is germane <laughs> or not but instead of starting September 5th you're starting September 12th and I think of that because usually before the first game you get that comment from the coach well I'd love a few more days of practice but it's time to find out what we have well guess yeah. what now they have that few more days you have a whole nother week before the next game so that is a yeah. different dynamic but I want I want to widen the conversation though because uh since we're going to drop this podcast on Tuesday night, um, if, if this does push to the spring, Pat, well, first question, do you think the ACC and SEC would stay out there on their own, or do you think the Big 12 really holds all the cards right now? If the Big 12 folds and pushes to the spring, does that mean the ACC and SEC have to follow suit? I think it makes it very hard. We've already seen where Mac Brown from North Carolina has said it would, he would see have uh, – see it difficult for the ACC to continue if multiple major conference or power five conferences folded. And then I've seen something this afternoon about the fact that uh, the NCAA has said they could have a college football playoffs with three power five conferences playing, but they're not sure if they can with two. Uh, and then of course, if you're the AAC, you, you, need, you need to leverage this in a playoff spot. But listen, uh, I don't know how feasible spring football is. And if you have spring football, I gotta think it's limited to four to six games if you're gonna have a uh, full season in the fall of 2021. But uh, I think it would be very hard uh, for them to carry on, particularly if the NCAA said we're not gonna have a national championship uh, uh, this year or a playoff. Uh, so then you just send the two best teams from the ACC and SEC to a bowl game. But uh, you know, listen, I'm. 
I'm like you guys. Uh, I'm hoping that we figure out a safe way to play football and the numbers continue to go down with COVID uh, and they feel a little bit better about some of the underlying issues that they are concerned about. Uh, but, uh, you know, a spring season just seems very unlikely to me. Uh, and But I think that uh, – you know, I think if they can have three power five conferences play, I think we got a good shot at a season if they decide to move forward. And let's face it, uh, you know, me and my brother who coaches at UCF have had this conversation. Uh, COVID is likely, not likely to go away anytime soon based on all that we know. And uh, I see, you know, I don't want any players or coaches to get sick. Uh, but, you know, at some point we've got to try to start slowly working our way to normal and, uh we can't hide forever, and I'm not. And listen, I'm not. I'm not saying that anybody should do anything they're uncomfortable with. Uh, but you can see both sides of the argument. You know, at some point, for my livelihood, I've got to go back to out into public and go to work. And uh, I can't. You know, this. You know, not everyone's jobs can stay. You can't work at home forever and have the job that you have. And you know, my brother said, you know, I'm willing to go out and coach football uh, to have to and. You know, there are no guarantees in life, but and he loves football and he wants to coach football and I love what I want to do and I want to do it and I'm tired of sitting at home. But, you know, I, and I'm not saying that I'm the expert and should tell everybody when they should run out, but I do see both sides of the equation uh, and, you know, us moving forward and then obviously being very cautious and I'm not trying to ride the fence, but uh, I see both arguments, but, uh you know, I'm hopeful for a season, but it, like you said before, when we started, it's fluid. And, you know, I think that the Big 12 and, I mean, the Big 10 and Pac-12 are going to have an influence on what everybody else does. But uh, before we jumped on, the SEC is still saying they're moving forward. And it seems like the ACC is partnering with them. And, uh, you know, it sounds as if the Big 12 holds the key today. Uh, so we'll see what happens. The other thing I'm concerned about, guys, and, and it's just the reality, but if they go to spring ball, you're going to lose 300 players. Yep, all your best players. Because all of them believe they're either going to get drafted or sign a free agent contract, and they are not going to be willing to play four or six games. They're not going to play any games. No. And no. so you're going to end up completely losing the season by postponing in terms of what happens on the field. It's just the reality. Yeah. And listen, I would be, I would be fine if they said, you know what, we're going to, we're going to call off practice for now. We're going to see what happens with the COVID numbers and we're willing to push the season back even past September 26th for the SEC or September 12th for the ACC. Uh, You know, I I thought, and listen, again, it's just my opinion uh, and it's based off, what I see on CNN and Fox and what I read uh, and the fact that we've had this back and forth with the, all the conferences aside, you know, I thought what they should have done when all this started coming up this weekend was every conference say, you know what, we're going to not practice for the rest of this month. We're going to push everything back to October 3rd for the season to start. And then we'll start everybody if the numbers look better and we've had time to research the medical points that worry us and we feel like we've got a better hold of them, we'll come back, start practicing September 1st, and kick off on October 3rd. Uh, that You know, listen, again, that's just trying to process everything, and I was hoping maybe that would keep, if they decided to do something like that, that would keep the Big Ten and Pac-12 at least moving forward. And as you said, uh, it's fluid, and there's no telling what's going to happen by the time uh, we wake up in the morning. 
Pat, we appreciate it. Uh, we'll do this again soon, maybe. Maybe we'll be talking about on-field. Maybe we'll be talking about when will we get on the field, which we've done for six months now. But <laughs> appreciate your insight. Well, hey, yeah, how about the basketball team when they're recruiting, man? <laughs> well, that's the next six months worth of shows, Pat. So. <laughs> Well, we went, listen, whoever would have thought when we were in college that uh, this is where we'd be. But, no, guys, uh, you know, thanks for having me on. Uh, we hope that all your listeners will check us out at theosceola.com. And I hope I'm back in the next week or two to talk to you guys again. All right, Pat Burnham thanks, from Pat. the Osceola. We'll take a break, come back and wrap things up on Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ, as we wrap up, uh, it's been a long tough, sobering summer, Keith. And, man, this is just getting smacked on the face again every time you look at a headline that we may not play now. Uh, I agree with you that there's not a good scenario for the spring season, especially because – and the Big Ten – the Big Ten has been driving this. For all of the SEC's uh, thought that it's the leader in this, the Big Ten is the one who went conference only first. The Big Ten is the one who folded up shop for the fall first. Uh, if the SEC and, and the ACC end up following suit. And the Big Ten is is saying if we play in the spring, we're going to start in late March. I mean, they want to play March, April, May, and I get it because they have snow on their fields in January and February. But in the South, if we're going to kick it to the spring, we could kick off on January 8th, and all of us would be thrilled that we're not sitting in 100-degree heat at the stadium. Well, the only thing I disagree with you with is that they're not the leader if we don't make them the leader. Right. And I think there's legitimacy, particularly in the SEC and the ACC, given the footprint. I know that that the Atlantic Coast Conference goes up into Boston and that type of thing. I'm not – I certainly didn't major in geography, uh, but I know that that occurs. But you can't – that you only get leadership when someone gives you leadership. There's nothing to say that that, uh, other conferences can't do what they think is in their best interest. But the bottom line is there is so much pressure to be uh, in the norm that it'll just be interesting. It'll just be interesting. Yeah, and clearly uh, this has reinforced the need for a czar, commissioner of college football, at least in our opinions. We've talked about that. Uh, Other obstacles in the spring, you've got – the NFL combine, you've got the NFL draft. So most of your best players that think they're going to make a living and collect a paycheck for doing this, they're not going to play in the spring. You've got the question of what about early enrolling freshmen? You're going to take a high school senior who's 17 and have him be your second string, whatever position and let him play in March. Particularly after he didn't play his entire senior year because they didn't play ball at high school level. You've got the dynamic of, well, if you play two, four, six, eight, ten, however many games in the spring, you're going to bring them back and play that many in the fall. Uh, there, there's so many. Un- then you have, if you, regardless of what you do in the spring, when you come back for the fall, well, maybe not regardless, but if you don't play in the spring, are all the seniors right now 
are they going to be offered another senior year the same way spring sports will? Right. And so if they come back, then uh, it's easy to say you got a roster exemption, but you got to find the scholarship dollars for potentially 15 more, 20 more. Instead of 85, now you got to pay 105 scholarships. And, oh, by the way, what do you do with the freshmen who are coming in that thought they had a chance to compete, and now there's a senior starting in their stead? And, oh, by the way, what do you do with the 2 to $4 billion in debt that you now have to pay off over the next 5, 7 to 10 years because you did not generate any football revenue in a given physical year? Yeah, so those are the questions that are on the plate of athletic directors, not just at Florida State, but across the country. Now, again, as we're talking, ACC and SEC are still in the game. Uh, every time I refresh Twitter, who knows where it'll land, Keith, but, but that's where we are today. Uh, we'll see. I, I do know this. We're going to spend some future shows talking about basketball and how Leonard Hamilton continues to just reel in. The downside for him is he already had the top recruiting class in the country, so he didn't even move up when he got this latest one. I mean, that's a good problem to have. Well, and, and, and talk about, you know, athletics and excellent. What about what Meek's been doing on the baseball side? He's got the number two or three class on Florida State's baseball side. So a lot of good things could happen if we can get back on the field. If. Or the court, as it may be. If, if, if. That's the big uh, and, hey, I'm not joking about this, Keith. You couldn't do this everywhere. You know, if, if football goes away in fall sports, then basketball's next. And we're only – we're less than two months from when they start basketball practice. Basketball's an indoor sport. We might want to find a way to get that hard court and put it out on the diamond at Mike Martin Field so that people can sit outside and watch a basketball game and we can play the thing. Can we issue respirators instead of masks when they're sitting in the stands? At the Tucker Center. Uh, it's it's frustrating. I get it. I get it. It's frustrating. Uh, it is what it is. And, Keith, we're out of time, mercifully, because I don't know what else we have to talk about that's going to be uplifting to anybody. I'm ready to reach through the screen and strangle you. And Well, we've been at that point since about <laughs> plus or minus April 1st. You know, the first, the first time we did this, it was novel. It was Every funny. Subsequent to that has been old news. It's not been funny. <laughs> He's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll do it again next week. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. We don't need no thoughts control.